Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, God's word says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we just sang, would you speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Lord, would you use these mere words as they seek to reflect your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, you've all heard the illustration of the man whose town began to flood. The police came and warned him, you have to leave now, the water's rising. And he replied, well, God will save me. Hours later, the water had risen so much that a boat came to his house and said, you need to climb in. The water will rise even higher. And he said, that's all right. God will save me. The water then later got so high that he is on his roof and a helicopter came by and lowered a rope and said, you need to climb onto the rope and leave because the water will get higher and you'll drown. And he replied, God will save me. Short time later, he had drowned, and he was then before God, and he surprisingly said, God, why didn't you save me? And God replied, I tried three times. And we often go through life thinking that God is going to work in some miraculous way, and yet God often works through ordinary ways and through means. And I use that illustration because when it comes to seeking to follow God's will, we're like that man in the story, wanting some dramatic, some supernatural action by God. And yet God often works in ordinary ways. Last week, we began looking at this verse, verse 17, and looking at how we know God's will. And we looked at some very important big picture things. And then today, we're going to try and walk through this topic, but with a specific application. We're going to look at how might we decide God's will in such a thing as what job should I pursue? And if you have a bulletin, you can see on the back an outline. It's an acronym, which I got from my friend Richie. I slightly modified it, but we need to decide. We need to devote ourselves to God. We need to entreat God, consider options, invite counsel, deliberate information, and then execute humbly. So let's walk through this. First thing we need to do if we want to know God's will is devote ourselves to God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not seek second after you've taken care of all the other things. Not if you have extra time after you've done everything you want to do, then seek after God's kingdom. But no, your first priority in life is to seek God's kingdom, to seek His glory. So friends, we have to ask, what are we seeking after? What are we devoted to? If someone could look at our use of time, our money, our talents and energy, what is it working towards? Jesus is telling us the best life is one that is devoted to seeking His kingdom. 
You know, and I think it's important to start here because many, when they seek God's will, they want God's will because they think, well, if I know what God wants for me, then my life is always going to get easier. And yet, while on the one hand, life might become more enjoyable, other hand, it will get sometimes harder. Consider Moses. Moses, we read in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses devoted his life to God, and what did he get? Mistreatment and reproach. His life didn't become immediately better because he devoted his life to God, because he put God's kingdom first. On the other hand, though, the passage makes clear that he did this because this was a fleeting pleasure. Moses gave up fleeting pleasure because he considered Christ and the wealth of knowing him and following him much better. So on the other hand, his life did become much better. So if you seek God's kingdom first, in many ways it will improve your life. But in the short term, it may lead to suffering and sorrow. That's why we need to consider the cost, as Jesus tells us, and devote ourselves to God, knowing that the long-term gain far outweighs the short-term loss. This last summer, my nephew went on a canoe trip up to Northern Tier, which is on the Minnesota and Canadian border. As they were being driven to their launch point, they asked their driver, is this trip going to be fun? And to their surprise, the driver paused and said, well, your trip is type 2 fun. They all started to grow nervous and said, well, what's type 2 fun? And he said, it's the type of fun that you don't really enjoy in the moment. But then later, looking back, you are very glad that you did it. And the driver was right. While there were many times, most of the time it was just pure sailing or rowing, there were times when they were thinking, why are we here? Why did we choose on our vacation to do this? My nephew recounted that they got to some spots that were so marshy that they could only canoe for 10 yards and then it'd have to stop and walk or carry their canoe for 10 yards but then after that the water would be so deep they'd have to get back in their canoe but then 10 yards after that it was so shallow that they would have to get back out and back and forth and back and forth and not was it not only was it just marshy but it was mucky and muddy and one time he got out and put his foot down and it sunk down and then when he went to step his foot came out and his boot was down in the bottom that he had to retrieve. It was type 2 fun. That he now looks back and goes, yeah, I'm glad I went. And similarly, we have great joy in knowing Christ, both now and eternally. eternally. But the apostles told us in Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes Christianity is type to fun. But we know God, our guide, always leads us, even through the tribulations. We know a greater joy and peace lies at the end of the journey. 
So how in the world does that have anything to do with knowing God's will for your job? Well, in regards to our job, we need to realize we're more devoted to God than we are to ease and pleasure. Thus, we may stick with a job we hate because God calls us to provide for our family. We may work diligently on a task because no one will see what we do, but we realize, in fact, one person does see, and we're doing our work for him, for God. And in seeking a new job, we consider not only is it going to pay the bills and be enjoyable, but we want to know how will this job affect my relationships with God, with people, and all my other callings. So matter, no matter what your decision, we always must begin with a life devoted to God. And then we need to entreat God. That's the second point. Now, the order of these points isn't always chronological. Sometimes you need to consider options before you even know what to pray about. Sometimes you need counsel before others before you realize I even need to go on a different course of life. But at some point, and many points throughout, you should pray to God and ask that he would give you wisdom. You know, Paul prayed this regularly for people. For example, Colossians 1.9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul was praying that they would know the knowledge of God's will. And last week we read James 1.5 that promises, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God specifically promises to give us wisdom when we come to Him. And as we noted last week, that doesn't mean we sit around waiting for open doors or an impression or feeling or even opening our Bible randomly. Yes, God does open doors. God does give us impressions. And the Bible, when used correctly, guides us. Yet, we pray and then we don't wait. We also seek for wisdom. We cry out for it and we do our due diligence. And when we pray, we don't only ask God for wisdom, but we also pray like Psalm 139, 23 and 24 that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, our prayers are reminding ourselves that sometimes our hearts are deceptive. We consider our actions to be a sacrifice, but God reveals that our motive is more to be seen as the type of people who sacrifice. We think we're devoting ourselves to God, but in reality, we want to be praised for our godliness. In other words, as we pray, we're asking God to help us be refined, to become more like Him. And when we pray, we become more like God. You know, tragically, Prayer is often a tack-on as we go to make our decision. After we've made our decision and go to the dealership, we're praying on the way, God, would you bless this decision that we've already made? Or as we head off to the university, we say, God, would you bless my choice of school? Instead, at the beginning and the, throughout the decision-making process, we should seek God. You may be familiar with the story in Joshua 1 where a tribe named Gibeon comes and deceives the Israelites. They pretend like they're from far away when actually they were a nation in the land that Israel had been promised. And then the Gibeonites did deceive Israel and Israel made a treaty with them 
And in Joshua 9.14 it says, They did this because they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And so we need to entreat God. So when you consider a job, we should pray and ask God, Why do I even want this? Search me and know me. Pray that God would help you to realize your skills and whether it would be a good fit for who you are. Pray that it would be a good fit not just for your skills, but also for the other callings you have in your life as a spouse or a child or a neighbor or a church member. And pray that he would give you your, this day your daily bread through this job. Now, devoting ourselves to God in prayer are essential, but they are not sufficient. Just because you've prayed about it and have peace doesn't mean you should be at peace. We need to consider the rest of this acronym going next to consider options. Flip in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. Here in these Proverbs, Solomon is writing to his son. And he begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know, consider what's being said here. Solomon has this if-then idea. And we have if-then ideas throughout life. You might tell your child, if you clean your room, then we'll go get some ice cream. And your child comes and says, hey, can we go get the ice cream? And you say, well, have you cleaned your room? We're not doing the then until you do the if here, Solomon says, my son, if, well, what needs to happen? Well, notice all the active things his son needs to do. Verse 1, he needs to treasure up the commands. Verse 2, he needs to make his ear attentive. He needs to, in verse 2, incline his heart. Verse 3, he has to call out. He has to raise his voice. Verse 4, he has to search like silver, seek like silver, and search like hidden treasure. In other words, the prayer for wisdom is important, but then we must actively search and research. Wisdom is not going to just drop into your lap. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but sometimes I hear people say, if something is right, it just comes easy. Well, that's often not true. Sometimes something is right, and it's really hard, and it takes a lot of work. You know, we mentioned these ideas last week when we looked at Psalm 119.99 that says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. As we stated last week, biblical meditation isn't emptying your mind, sitting in a certain position, humming or anything like that. Biblical meditation is filling your mind and thinking about God's word and reflecting on it. It's taking an idea and dwelling on it praying about it, applying it to your life. And the more you do that, the more you search God's word, the more you'll grow in wisdom. Thus Proverbs 9, 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase 
in learning. And it's really important to consider options because as Proverbs 18, 17 says, flip over there, Proverbs 18, 17. Proverbs 18, 17 tells us, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. You, you hear about that new job prospect and everything is wonderful until the other person comes and reminds you of some of the drawbacks of that situation. And so we need to consider options and not be hasty with our decisions. As well, we have to realize that for many decisions, Scripture will not speak to it directly. If you're wanting to purchase land and start farming, there's not a verse for you to turn to. You'll probably instead need to do research of soil samples and considering the annual precipitation of that area and talking to farmers in that region. If you want to buy a vehicle, it'd be wise to research the fuel mileage or the distance on a charge. If the model needs many repairs or if you could take it for a test drive. You know, the Bible is not going to have a verse that says, buy a Honda or a Hyundai, a Toyota or a Tesla. Thus, there's many things you need to consider that the Bible doesn't directly address. Now, that's not to say that the Bible doesn't speak to it. It tells us how to be wise. It tells us how to be good stewards. But it isn't going to have a verse for it. Well, let's apply this to a job. What would you need to consider here? Well, let me mention four things. First, this is an area of Christian liberty. So, what do you like to do? You obviously shouldn't work in a way that's going to sin or cause others to sin. Yet, if you choose to be a plumber or a pilot, one is not better than the other, and the Bible doesn't say one is better than the other. It's not morally superior to be white-collar or blue-collar in your job. Thus, you have freedom to pick what do I enjoy doing. Second, what are your abilities and skills? I, as a teenager, loved playing basketball. I was and still am a white six-foot guy who can't jump and doesn't have that great a shot. So my skills and abilities didn't match with my desires. So yes, I might have liked to play in the NBA, but I needed a little honest assessment that probably couldn't even make the bench on a college team. And so I have to assess what are my skills and abilities. And the flip side, we can be kind of pious about this at times and think, well, if God's really leading to me to this, he'll give me the skills I need. Well, he may, but you also need to consider what you are and that normally God's not going to change who you are and what you can do. I should never apply for a job of interior designer. I have no interest. I have no taste in color or scheme. I can't draw. And as well, I don't care. So you don't want me to be your interior designer. That's not my skills and abilities. Third, what are the possibilities? You might have a desire. You might have a skill. But there's no job. You might, for a thousand mile radius, be the best person with a horse-drawn team at plowing a field. You're great, but no one in a thousand mile radius is still hiring horse-drawn teams. They have tractors. It's a skill that's not needed anymore. So you love it, you have the skill, but it's not going to provide 
for you. So what are the possibilities of what you can do? And then fourth, what are the needs? As with abilities and possibilities, this is going to differ with every person. Are you single? Are you married? Do you have children? Do you not have children? What are your flexibilities and hours? You know, what are the things you need? Well, you need food, you need clothing, you need shelter. We saw when we studied Ephesians 4.28 that we need to provide not only for ourselves, but have the means to share with others in need. And yet our needs are not just financial. God's Word tells us you need to spend time with people, with your family, with your church. Now, let me be clear. It's not immoral to take a job that travels, but a husband or wife should be very cautious if you're going to have to travel five days a week every week. You know, sadly, we've often reduced jobs down to each individual choosing their career. Yet your career should support the family, not the family support your career. And so we need to consider what are the needs. Now, maybe it's me, but I think as a society, we like to re-raise every single exception. But what about, so let me answer a couple. So I'm sure... For there are very legitimate reasons that some people need to take a job that travels every week. Yet for the majority of cases, there is not a need to miss gathering with God's people or so few jobs that you have to take it. And yes, there are jobs that need to be done in times when God's people meet. Nations, fires, thieves, they don't take Sunday morning off. And so you shouldn't feel guilty if you work in a job that needs to be going when God's people meet. However, church is just is a lot more than just meeting together Sunday morning. Hopefully, if you can't join on a Sunday morning, you're looking for other ways for fellowship and prayer and being with God's people. Now, you might be thinking, well, that list of four things is rather underwhelming. I was hoping for a verse that could tell me what job I should get this next week. And yet, biblical wisdom, as with the opening illustration, is often not in some supernatural, miraculous way. It's not some esoteric, bizarre reality. It's taking the truths of God's Word and applying them to the basic realities of life. And the Bible makes clear that to walk in wisdom and know God's will, we need to devote ourselves to God. We need to pray and we need to study God's Word, but that's not it. We also, fourth, need to invite counsel we're not going to turn back there because there's some verses i want to look at in, in proverbs but you may remember ephesians 4 15 where it says speak the truth in love and in that way we grow up into christ you know we need people to speak the truth in our lives or ephesians 4 25 told us to put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor you know, these verses are calling us to speak the truth in love. And that has the implication that we should be inviting people to speak the truth to us in love. You know, there's an assumption in those verses, and that is that we don't see ourselves perfectly. You know, we're all really good at rationalizing. That leaving out facts that we don't want to consider. We're not even recognizing how we come across. And while we have a distorted view of ourselves, others can often see us more accurately. So let's look at five Proverbs that note this. Flip back to Proverbs 11, verse 
14. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Proverbs 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. With many people giving you advice, there is safety. You look over one chapter, Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Or flip over one chapter, Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Or flip over one more chapter, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the end of death. Or one last one, Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, verse 26, which reads, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You don't want to walk in your own mind, so you want to invite counsel. You want to say, would you help me think about this decision? This is important. Would you give me advice? Now, of course, you can then get bad advice. And sometimes there are people who are saying things just to manipulate you. Yet that's why we're called to have an abundance of counselors so that you can weigh the good and bad of what every person says. And in this, there's the implication that you're open to critique. I've known people who go around looking for counsel and basically they're just hunting for the person who will say what they want to do and then they can say, oh, well, see, I was told this is what I should do. Rather, listen, be open to people saying the exact opposite of what you want to hear and then listening to why they're saying it. You, again, may not agree, but be open and invite that counsel. And this really implies two things. First, we need other people and other Christians involved in our life. You know, people can't give you good advice if they don't know us well. You know, God's design for His church is so much more than that we gather once a week and go through a worship service together. God's design would be that our lives are interconnected, that we care for one another, that we're speaking into one another's lives and inviting people to speak into our lives, that we're genuinely opening ourselves up to hear what people should tell us. A second implication is that the right decision is not found in following your heart. You know, from Disney films to pop music, we're told, believe in yourself. You do you. Yet if we reflect on our own lives, we'll remember many times when we followed our heart's desire into our own lives' destruction. Instead, Proverbs 3, 5-7 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So how in the world does this affect a job? Will it mean asking friends and family, is this a good fit for me? Now, you need to realize something. Our society has preached for so long that love means 
supporting and accepting someone in whatever they want to do, that they probably aren't going to tell you the truth. So you probably need to say, no, I really want to hear. Do you think this is good for me? Honestly, should I stop being a pastor and be a male ballet dancer? Well, hopefully you just look at me and go, well, that's the stupidest idea you ever came up with. You have no skill in that area, true. There are no positions in that arena that would provide for a family of six. And you've already made a lot of promises to people, and you should keep your promises. Now, to tell me that would not be you being a soul-crushing enemy, ruining my dreams, which it's not a dream, but if it was, you're not ruining my dreams. Rather, that would you being a loving friend who cares about me and loves me enough to tell me what I don't want to hear. And we can go away from that silly example to people you know saying something that you're thinking, that's never going to work. You're going to take a career in sales and you don't even like to go up to someone you know and say hi. How in the world is this going to work? And they're so excited. And you should say, could we talk about this for a minute? Because, you know, you don't like to talk to people and sales is kind of built on the premise of talking to people. That's not being rude. That's not being unloving. That is, in fact, loving the person to let them know that, look, you should consider all the things we've said, and this may not be what God is calling you to do. So, having devoted yourself to God, entreated God, considered options and inviting counsel, you're now ready to, fifth, deliberate information. You know, our decisions, especially important ones, should not be hastily made. Flip over to Proverbs 19, verse 2. Proverbs 19.2 Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. You know, in some ways, all the steps we've already mentioned are deliberating. You know, you've given thought, you've prayed, you've invited counsel. But then sometimes you have to then take that counsel, take everything you've heard, and consider. What are the pros and cons? This person said this, but my other friend actually thought I should consider this. How do I put that all together? And we need to realize that deliberation is not a synonym for sinful anxiety. Wrestling with a decision does not mean you're sinfully anxious. Some decisions you make are really tough. And no matter what you choose, you know there's going to be real consequences. You know, to use our job situation, you know, I don't like my job, or maybe I don't have a job, and so it's going to stink if I stay here. Maybe it's the boss, or maybe it's the pay, or maybe it's something else, but then you're like, what if I take this other job? Maybe I have to move, and maybe then there's all of those things I have to factor into it. And so, yes, deliberating will make you anxious, but that doesn't have to be sinful, because you can do what 1 Peter 5 says, and cast all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Now notice, I called this section deliberating and not divining or deciphering. As we spent a lot of time on last week, we don't need to hunt out to decipher God's secret will for our life. As though God has a file folder with plan A for Jeremy, plan B, and uh, plan C. And he's really hoping I'll choose plan A, but oh man, he might choose plan B. You know, on one level, 
God doesn't care if you write computer programs or you hang sheetrock. Yes, God loves you, and He cares about every single aspect of your life, but He gives you freedom to pick among non-moral choices. So yes, God guides us, and His way is through prayer, His Word, wisdom, and His people. God's Word is that lamp to our feet and our light to our path, but He doesn't guide us with secret clues or merely our feelings. So this leads to our last thing, and that is we need to execute humbly, the end of our acronym, decide. Sadly, some of us get stuck on all the options and we never make a decision. We never execute. We have to move past deliberating to actually acting. You can't just sit there deliberating forever and saying, well, I don't know, there's too many good options. Well, at some point, you got to do something. And let me give two ways we can execute with humility. First, humility realizes that your decision will not lead to the most fulfilling life on earth. What I mean by that is you might make the perfect choice on every major choice for your life. You might pick the perfect spouse, the perfect job, the perfect home, and you could go on and on. And yet, God's gifts, and all of those are gifts, are not meant to be God, and they will never satisfy your deepest longings. Thus, you might have the perfect job for you, but I guarantee there will be some things that are frustrating about it. And this is really important to realize because a lot of people today are looking to their job. They're looking to their spouse. They're looking to their home to completely make them happy. And when they find, oh, I find my job frustrating, their conclusion is, well, I must have chosen the wrong one. Well, that might be true. You might have chosen a job that doesn't suit you or because of your boss or other factors is not somewhere you should stay. But it may be that you're looking to that job to provide a sense of fulfillment that it was never meant to provide. It was meant to be a job in which there will be times you're just not going to enjoy it. So don't look to your decisions to give you complete fulfillment in life. You know, this last week was my birthday. I had three wonderful meals. But the thing is, I had three meals, not one. Because no meal could completely satisfy my hunger for the rest of my life. No job, no spouse, no decision you make is going to be, oh, life's just going to be bliss from now on. I chose exactly what I should choose. So execute humbly, recognizing your decision is not going to make your life perfect. Second, if we execute humbly, we can have great confidence. Now, this may just seem to contradict what I just said, but I'm literally looking at it from the opposite endpoint, and that is that we have to realize you're not going to ruin your life by something. You know, before I was talking about you're not going to find your fulfillment in something, but now I'm saying, look, if you're following Jesus, and you're seeking to honor Him with your life, and you make a choice that's not sinful or righteous, but good or better, no matter which one you choose, it's not going to ruin your life. And I bring this up because sometimes people get so stuck, well, I don't want to make a mistake on the wrong choice. I'm going to ruin my life if I choose the wrong one. Well, if you're talking about sin or not, yes, you might. But remember what was read for us earlier in Jesus' parable when he's talking about people who build their house 
on sand or the rock. What's building your life on the rock? Well, it's hearing God's word and obeying it. And Jesus didn't say, well, some people who hear my word and obey have their house built on the rock. Or if you build your life on my word and you make all the best choices afterwards, then your life will be on the rock. No. If you build your life on God's word, your house is built on the rock. You see, as we pointed out last week, God not only works all things out according to the purpose of his will, but he also works all things together for good for those who loved him and who are called according to his purpose. So don't anxiously fret. Should I be an accountant or an arborist? As though if you choose one, your life will be perfect and the other will mess it up. Live in the confidence that either can please God and that God in his sovereign love will use either choice for your good and his glory. James Petty wrote a book on knowing God's will for your life, and in it he says, boldness and confidence should, mark, should be a mark of godly decision-making. It must be based on the conviction that we are under the providence of God and are pursuing his purposes for our lives. This world is a safe place for a Christian to make decisions because of the sovereign guardrail of God's providence. And so that doesn't make us passive. We made all these other comments that we need to ask for advice. We need to search. We need to deliberate. But when we do all that, we can have confidence that God is going to work our choices for our good and his glory. Even if suffering comes because of our choice, we can rest that we didn't screw everything up because God is in control. God has a better plan for us and he takes better care for us than we ever could in our own decision making. His plans are wiser than ours. So yes, plan, think, read, discuss, and then in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray. Lord, would you make us wise people? Would you help us to know your will in everything from job making to child raising, from retirement to school choices? Lord, would we be people who are devoted to you and we live that out in all the choices we make? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.